That's a sermon bumper. What does that have to do with the Word of God and what we're doing as a church? Well, CrossFit is one of the first steps that we're taking in an international mission board strategy of reaching people. It's called workplace evangelism. Uh, we're doing that all over the world. As we're sending missionaries to other countries, they're going in and they're creating businesses, connecting with customers, uh, ministering to their employees and their families, and using that as a bridge into people's lives. Well, we're doing the same thing in America. America is as lost as any other nation on the planet. And the church has become more and more disconnected from its community than ever before. And so CrossFit is one of our first things we're doing. Uh, Josh McClellan and his family that are new to our church, uh, they have a ministry background. He is a trained uh, trainer for CrossFit. And so we're going to use that and would love to invite you to be a part of it. You say, what does that look like? Well, it's for anybody at any stage of life. If you want to work on physical fitness or, frankly, not just physical fitness, but be a part of a ministry that can impact people spiritually, we would love for you to be a part of this with Josh and his team. You can fill out a communication card. Just let us know that you're interested. He'll do a private consultation with you. He'll tell you more about it. Or maybe you can help us spread the word. And our prayer is that the annex during the week will be used to reach a lot of people in our community that will also become spiritually fit because of the ministry that happens through that. So that's what's called CrossFit. Hopefully you can help us spread the word. Also spreading the word today, I know we have some champions in the house. Piedmont softball won state this week. Let's give it up for Piedmont and the crowd back in the back. Well done. I'm surprised the trophy isn't in the room. Bring it back next Sunday, all right? We want to see the hardware. That's awesome. Well, we are answering different questions not just that people ask, but that God asks. Last week or two weeks ago, we started with the very first question God ever asked, Adam, where are you? That's a great question to answer, and I hope you figured that out. And if you weren't here for that sermon, uh, basically the very first question God ever asked anyone is, where are you? Uh, that's a question all of us have to answer. Where are we in relationship to God? Are we in the center of his will? Are we pursuing his will? Or are we running from God's will? Last week, we looked at the question, who do you say Jesus is? And what you say, how you answer that question, uh, determines where you are with God. It's all about that question. Well, before we jump into these, uh, the next God question today, give you a couple of updates, some questions people asked. How much did we give last week during Bigger Steps? For those that are members of the church, we have been working on paying off our children's building and preschool space. And you can see that last Sunday we gave $54,409. That was a huge, oh yeah, that's worth celebrating. That was a huge sacrifice and brings our balance down to $178,000 and some change. I want to remind you, we're going to take our biggest step ever on November the 14th, so start praying. Pray every week. Pray about what you might be able to do as we give above and beyond. Also, some people in the first service uh, have been used to having a choir. We haven't been able to do that for about two years now because of COVID. We're trying to relaunch that, and it's not just for the first service. Uh, we're going to be putting together a first phase of coming back. We're going to be putting together a Christmas choir, a choir from both services that work together that sing the first three Sundays in December. You don't have to come to a rehearsal. You don't even have to sound good. We got enough. If we get enough people involved, they'll block your voice out. We just need some warm bodies and some willing hearts that want to be a part of it. 
uh, Alex is going to be working with all the volunteers, and uh, Brian Matlock will be working with them as our choir director, and they're going to be getting you the music that you can be listening for at home. There's a way to stay engaged and to be learning di uh, digitally, kind of uh, on your own. And then in November, they'll pull everybody together for a rehearsal, and then we'll do a Christmas choir for the three weeks of December. If you'd be willing to do that, there are a lot of good voices in this space. We would like for you to do it. You can still be a part of your small group. You can still come to your worship service. You would just sing at first service for the first 15 minutes. They'll be dismissed to go either to your small group or to worship, and then they'll also sing in the second service. So if you can help with that, fill out one of those communication cards digitally through Church Center or a hard copy card, and let us know that you would be willing to help us rebirth choir ministry at PCBC, all right? If you have your Bible, start turning to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. All throughout our lives, we're always learning lessons. We go to school. We go to church. Our parents are always teaching us lessons. Our teachers, our peers, and our mentors are always telling us what to believe and what we should know. We learn that 2 plus 2 is 5, right? And you were taught that growing up. That's the new math. And that, well, whatever you learned, whatever it might be, 2 plus 2 is 4. That's information that's been passed on. You learn math and science and English, and you learn all these lessons. Your parents teach you who God is and, and how you relate to God. And they teach you great principles of how to live life to its fullest. And you have peers who try to teach you how you ought to live and mentors and all these life lessons that come at us. But if you really want to learn real-life lessons, if you really want to go deeper in truth, those are discovered not through information passed on from flesh and blood, but through questions that God would ask of you. As we dig in, we've been seeing how God does that from time to time. And anytime you find God asking a question in Scripture, put on the brakes, stop, look at it. Don't just read the Bible story. Don't just take it in as information but put yourself in the question. Because you see, God would ask questions not because he needs information, but because we need transformation. We learned that as he was teaching that to Peter. You remember last week, and he was asking the disciples, who do the people say that I am? And then he would say, but who do you say that I am? And when Peter responded and he said, you are the Christ, you're the anointed one, you're the one sent from God, you are Messiah, Jesus turned to Peter and he said, you know, Peter, you didn't learn that at school. You didn't learn that from a teacher, from flesh and blood. You didn't learn that from a rabbi. That's not something flesh and blood could have taught you. That deep truth that you now understand, that that is real in your heart, that came from heaven. Our Father sent that to you. That's called transformational truth. A lot of people have information about Jesus. A lot of people have all the Sunday school answers but they've never been transformed by answering many of these questions. Where am I with God and who is Jesus to me? Well, we're going to see the next question in Mark chapter 5. We've looked at part of this story, but you've got to see the context. Starting in verse 4, we find that Jesus has come to a certain community and he has ministered to somebody that nobody else in town wanted to even be near. It's the demoniac. This guy was so full of demons. He was so full of uh, the issues of his flesh. Literally, he was demon-possessed and was the first ever known human zombie, all right? If you know the zombie world, this is where it came from, this guy's world, man. He was a walking dead man. As a matter of fact, he was so creepy, he couldn't even live in the city. 
They kicked him out, and he had to live out among the tombstones and in the cemetery. He was the first ever zombie, if you will. Jesus heard about this guy, and he went to him. I want you to understand, it doesn't matter how far gone you may think your story is. It doesn't matter how dark life has become. It doesn't matter how desperate you are or what other people have said about you or what you've said about yourself. Jesus will meet you wherever you are. Jesus comes to him when nobody else would. Here he was, all isolated, all out in the cemetery, all by himself, and Jesus transformed his life. If you remember the story, he cast the demons out of this guy into a herd of pigs, and they went running off a cliff, and, and it was chaos. And everybody was talking about this story. Look at it, verse 4. The herdsmen, these were the guys that owned the pigs. They ran away and they reported in the city all that had happened. And the people came to see what it was that had actually happened. Everybody was freaking out. Now, when they showed up, it wasn't to rejoice with this guy whose life has been renewed. It wasn't to come together and, and, and just be un, uh, overwhelmed by God's grace and God's miraculous healing power. No, they came because they were upset. Jesus had messed with their economy. Don't mess with the people's economy, verse 16. And those who had seen what had happened described it to them, described how all of this had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And at this point, you would think the people would be saying, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Hey, I got my issues too, help me. No, that's not what you see. Look at what happens. They all turned on Jesus and they said to him, Leave this place. Can you imagine can you imagine? Imagine it from this perspective. For a moment, be that zombie dude. Be that guy that's been living in this cemetery, totally tormented by all these demons, and you got this new life. You've been set free and cleansed of all this evil, and you now are this new guy, and, and all the town has finally come. Now they can be around you, and you're expecting it to be a great reunion. And all of a sudden you look around, all the friends you went to school with and all your buddies that you grew up playing baseball with and all these, all these guys that knew you weren't rejoicing with you, but rejecting the very Jesus that changed your story. Why did they reject Jesus? Why did they want him gone? Because they saw Jesus as a liability. Jesus was, they lost so much money because they lost their herds and were more concerned about their pigs than they were their friend. Is that not sad? Is that not crazy? And so I want you to see the response of the crowd. They didn't say, Jesus, we need help too. We got our issues. God, change me. No, instead they said, Jesus, we don't need you. Jesus, we don't want you. We want you to leave. Sounds like America today, doesn't it? A nation that used to be one nation under God now says we don't want anything to do with that which is declared to be holy and that which has anything to do with the name of Jesus. We don't need you. We got our own stuff now. We got our own economy. We're fine just like we are. So what was Jesus' response? You'd expect him to open up a little bit of holy can of wrath, wouldn't you? Open up the can. Throw it out. These guys want to mess with me? What's Jesus do? Verse 18. He got into his boat, and he honored their request. I want you to understand, you may be here today, you may even be viewing online, and you may be here because you have to be here. You may be here because you're supposed to be here. You may have just accidentally showed up, or maybe somebody drug you here. I get it. 
And I want you to understand something. Jesus so loved you, he left his throne in heaven, and he came for a cross to pay for your sin and for my sin. That's how much he loves you. But he also loves you enough to honor your own desires. And if you want nothing to do with Jesus, he's not going to force himself on you. He is here. He is available. His arms are open wide. But if you want to tell him, Lord, I don't need you. I'm fine just like I am. He'll leave you just like you are. He got in his boat and he went to the other side. Man, if God is speaking to you today, well, I would listen up. If God is drawing you today and there's that movement going on in your heart, I would tell you, you need to step into that. Don't run from it. They ran from it. They said, we don't want you. We don't need you. I'm fine just like I am. Look at the rest of verse 18. So as he's getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. Now, we've looked at this passage, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I just wanted you to see context. This guy who had been radically changed, he was so changed, he was totally different than everybody else in his city. Everybody else wanted Jesus to leave. He wanted to go with Jesus. Everybody else wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He just wanted to live with Jesus every single moment of every single day. He said, Lord, let me come with you. I don't want to live here anymore. I don't want to be among these people. I just want to hang out with you. And the sad thing today is that there are some Christians that have bought into that same kumbaya Christianity. They've been changed by Jesus. They, they, they have a whole different world, a whole different hunger. And we think that that translates into leaving the world and just living in a holy bubble and calling that Christianity. Jesus had to help this guy understand what a new life in Christ looks like. And I want you to see what Jesus said to him. He said, listen, I don't want you to live in this bubble Matter of fact, in verse 19, he says he didn't honor his request. He said he didn't let him go with him. Instead, he turned to him and he said, go home to your people. No way, Jesus. I'm not going back to these guys. They're a bunch of scum. These guys could hear more about their pigs than they do me. I'm not hanging out with these people. I don't want to go back to that old life. I don't want to go back to those guys. And Jesus said, no, you need to go to your people. And you need to tell them all that the Lord has done for you God's will for this guy same as it is for you and for me who've been changed by his mercy and his grace God doesn't want you to live in some holy bubble he doesn't want you to just hold on until you get to heaven someday God wants to release his story through your story and that's been our whole theme this year is going one-on-one -on -one with God and and praying for someone who needs to know the God who's changed our lives. Not for us to gather up together and be a holy country club, but for us to be holy ambassadors, taking God's story through our story to our people. Are you doing that? That's the greatest way you could honor God and glorify God. Get outside of the bubble. Now, the cool thing is there's been over a 1,000 hits for our Tell the Story website. Uh, we have been encouraging you to have a story. If you know Jesus and Jesus has changed your life, we're asking you to come into the church. They have you fill out a little form. It helps you write a three-minute story, how God changed your life, what your life was like before Christ, and who you are in Christ now. They help you put all that together, and then they film that, and we put it on the web, and then you take a little business card with a QR code on it, and you're able to pass those out and say, hey, I wish you'd go and listen to what God's done in my life. I want to tell my story. Would you go and listen to this sometime? They can click on that code with their phone. It'll go straight out on the web, and they can hear in three minutes how Jesus changed your life. In less than two or three weeks, we've had over 1,000 hits of people hearing God's story 
through your story. If you've not done that yet, I'd encourage you to take advantage of that tool. And it doesn't even have to be, maybe you say, well, I'm not good on camera. That's okay. They'll make you look good. But if you don't want to get there and you're uncomfortable with that, you don't need a camera to tell your story. You just need to have a heart that's been changed. And then you need to have a heart for the people Jesus has a heart for. Go to your people and tell the story. So verse 20 says he did it. He went out and he began to proclaim. And he was talking about all the great things Jesus had done for him. That's all witnessing is. It's not shoving Jesus down people's throat. It's not making them uh, get holy. It's just telling them, hey, I was a mess. I had issues. Man, I was full of demons, man. My whole life was just filled with junk. And this holy man came and he laid hands on me and he changed my life. And man, I'm a different guy today. Look at me. I'm a brand new person. And God can do that for you. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to Sunday school. He went to his people and just simply told what Jesus had done for him. So, verse 21. told you, if you don't want anything to do with Jesus, that's on you. Jesus comes to you wherever you are. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been. He comes to you. And if you want nothing to do with him, he'll go to the other side. And so we have this amazing miracle that happens in the city. And everybody but the demoniac says, get out of here. We don't need you. So he goes to the other side. Verse 21. When he had crossed over again, a large crowd gathered around him, and he stayed on the seashore. So we look at this story. Not everybody rejects Jesus. There are those who are hungry for what God offers. God's working in their life, and they understand. They've tried everything there is in this life, and it's left them empty. And so they turn to this holy guy named Jesus. When he got there, there was this huge crowd, and man, they just stayed right there, and they locked in on him. A whole different experience. They received him. Look what happened next, verse 22. It got so crazy. There was such a powerful move of the Spirit of God in that place that even a synagogue official named Jairus came up, and he fell at the feet of Jesus. And he was so humbled, he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay hands on her. And I know that she will live. Jesus seen something totally different over here than he saw over there. Over here was a crowd of unbelief. Over here was a crowd of those who had been humbled by life, who were willing to say, I've got issues, I've got needs, and we've tried everything in this world, but Lord, only you can fix it. He saw something totally different. And the Bible says, instead of getting in his boat and going to a different side, he went along with this man. And the crowd continued to follow him, and they were pressing in on him. And then within the crowd, you know this story, but take a look at it, verse 25. There was a woman. She also had issues. Her issues were incredibly severe. She had, as it reads here, a hemorrhage for 12 years. This is known as the issue of blood. We don't know all of it, but we know that she was considered to be unclean that there was some kind of issue with her health that was so dangerous that if anybody got near her, they were afraid they'd get the same issue. And so she too had been sent outside the city. If you had issues of blood like this woman, the Levitical law said that you were no longer to be around a single person. You understand what a quarantine feels like from COVID? You know how difficult the last year and a half or two years have been? If you had to quarantine at any point and you couldn't go to school or you couldn't go to the grocery store or you had to isolate from family, that was 10 days, maybe two weeks, maybe a little longer. This woman quarantined for 12 years. 
We don't know if she had children, but perhaps she did. She didn't have any family she could be with, no friends. She was on the outside looking in, totally quarantined from the living, just like the guy on the other side who'd been in a cemetery. This woman with these issues, it says in verse 26, she endured much at the hands of many physicians. She'd gone to every specialist and every doctor in town. She was looking for a cure and she would do anything in the world to get rid of this disease so she could get back to real life. The Bible says she spent all that she had and no one, nothing helped. And a matter of fact, look at the end of verse 26, everything had gotten worse. There was a crowd, a crowd full of people, just like this room. And here's what we know. When there's a crowd of people, whether it's over here or whether it's over here, what's true of both of these crowds is both crowds had issues. I was going to have you turn to your neighbor and say, you got issues, but I didn't think that'd be real spiritual or very well received. And so we could all say that to our neighbor, but we can all say it as we look in the mirror. I've got issues. I don't need an amen from this corner over here, all right? We all have issues. Jairus had an issue. His daughter was sick and nobody could help. This woman had issues. Twelve years she's been isolated from everybody. She had issues and doctors couldn't fix it. She spent everything she had. Her money couldn't fix it. Matter of fact, everything got worse. We all have issues. If you can't see it in the scripture... If you know a Texas Longhorn fan, just ask them and they'll tell you we all got issues. Now can I get an amen from the majority of the congregation? <laughs> Feels good, don't it? Sorry if you're from Texas. I love you unconditionally. And now you know I have issues. All right. But all of us have issues. Guys, issues that winning a football game doesn't fix. Issues that a winning season doesn't fix. Issues that all the stuff that you're trying to accumulate and pack in your life, it doesn't fix it. There's so many people that buy into that and think, well, man, I just need to do this or I just need this. And they turn to a bottle, they turn to a pill, they turn to a relationship, they turn to a promotion, they turn to something. They think, if I just had more of that, I'd be happier, I'd be better, all would be well. It didn't work for them. It didn't work for me. And it won't work for you. Matter of fact, if you're being real honest, you'd have to wake up and say, you know what? My life is a bigger mess and the issues have gotten bigger. What was supposed to medicate it, what was supposed to fix it, what was supposed to numb it, was supposed to make it go away? My issues are worse. She said, my issues have grown even worse. I told you my testimony before, my story. I know you've heard it a lot, but my story, man, I packed everything into this I could. What everybody told me would fix it, what everybody told me would fix this emptiness in my life, I just needed to go to another party, man. I just needed to hang out with these guys. I just needed to do this. I needed to start on our basketball team. I needed a pretty girlfriend. I needed a fast car. I packed all that into my 17-year-old life, and I was worse off than ever before. There's only one way it gets fixed. That God-shaped boy can only be filled by God and nothing else. She had to learn that. They had to learn that. And so we look in on this. We see that there were all these issues represented in the crowd. Just like there were issues for the demoniac, now there was issues for Jairus' daughter, and there's issues for this woman who'd been isolated and quarantined for 12 years. Everybody's got issues. The question is, what are you going to do with your issues? Are you going to do what the world says? Are you going to just medicate it? Are you going to just 
ignore it? You're going to just try to fill it up yourself? Or will you do what this crowd did and what this woman did? Look at verse 27. Look at what she did. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and she touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garment, I will get well. You know the story. You've heard, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. You know this story, but there's a lot you may not know about the story. Number one, why did she come up from behind him? Well, one, she couldn't come to him face to face. She was unclean. Matter of fact, she wasn't even supposed to be there. She was unwelcome. She had to take advantage of the crowd and sneak in, and she got down low. And as somebody told me after the first service, that's what sick people did in that day. They had to carry themselves low because they could not look people in the eye, and they were uh, considered the disgusting of the disgusting. But she wasn't even supposed to be there. She wasn't even supposed to be within a mile of a person. But she had to get to Jesus. Maybe you don't feel worthy either. I'm sure she didn't. She knew that she couldn't approach a holy man because it was the holy men, the priest, who had declared what unclean people had to do. They had to live outside the city. And only after you had been healed could you go to the priest and get your vaccination card. Proof that it was okay for you to be among other people. And you had to go present yourself to a priest. Interesting, you had to wait seven days. She couldn't because she wasn't clean, so she approached Jesus, and she thought in her heart, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. What was she thinking? Some people say, well, man, that's great faith. If she could just, this power is flowing through Jesus, and it just flowed through his joints and through his bones. It got all in his clothes, man. If you just got up and you just kind of brussled up against it, man, boom, this holy Jesus power get all over you and fix it all, as if it was some kind of Benny Hinn crusade going on or something. Matthew 14, you can put it in your notes. This is the only encounter. I want you to see throughout Scripture, people had this concept of touching the hems of garments. In Matthew 14, 34 through 36, there's another situation where Jesus crossed over. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word to everybody who was sick. And they told him, come on out. Come to this man. If you're sick, come on. They implored him to be there, and then they got there. They begged Jesus that they might just, listen to this, touch the fringe of his garment. What was going on? We don't get it because it's different in our culture, but if you understood Jewish life, you would better understand. If you're taking notes again, you can write down the reference. The reference comes from what God instructed Moses to do in the Mosaic Law. And he told them in Numbers why they were to wear garments and what they did at the hem of their garments. Listen to this. The Lord spoke to Moses. This was long before Jesus' day. And he told Moses, speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they're to make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments, at the very, on the hems. All these tassels, they were to, to, to hang off the end and there was to be a corner, a cord of blue And that would be a reminder of the commandments of the Lord and that you are my people and you are called of God to live holy lives, different from the rest of the world. Their garments, take up the garments of praise, those garments and at their hymns, those tassels as they would walk and they would swish, they weren't just little fashion items. I'll go back and look at some of your parents' bell bottoms from the day and the little fringes they had going on, fashion statement, this wasn't. This was a statement of faith. 
that they were people of God called out. And around that hymn, there were these tassels that were to be reminders of their holy life, their holy God, and their holy purpose. He said, you are to do this, or as often as your heart and your eyes see these things, it will remind you not to play the harlot, but to be my people, holy unto me. So wake up now in Jesus' days. It's been hundreds of years since Moses. The Jewish people, that custom, just like any other religious custom, it becomes more of a tradition and more of a custom. And so the Pharisees now were taking it to the max. It was a fashion statement for them. It wasn't a faith statement. If you were a Pharisee, you, your, your goal was to convince everybody in the community you were the most spiritual person in town. It was an outward religious facade. Jesus said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You may look good on the outside, but on the inside you're walking death. They were zombies. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 5. He said this about the Pharisees. They make their phylacteries broad and they enlarge the borders of their garments. Phylacteries were like, uh, uh, you, you guys don't even remember this, my generation, we wore the sweatbands when they were cool. We wore them on our heads and on our wrists. The sweat, well, they had phylacteries, bands around their head, and there were big boxes that they would post, and they made the boxes bigger and bigger, and the bands broader and broader, so everybody could see, oh, man, they're really, they're committed to the Word of God. Man, they, they love God. Man, look how spiritual they are. And then along their garments at the hymns, they added tassels and bigger tassels and fancier tassels and loaded it down with tassels so that everywhere they walked, all you could see were chanking tassels. Wow, look at how much they love the Word of God and how much they love God. And Jesus rebuked them for, on the outside, trying to look spiritual, but never were in the heart. So why would they want to touch the hems of garments, these tassels? Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, it was prophesied about this special one that would be sent from God. But to who you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, shall arise with healing in his wings. And when you read that, you might think that was poetic, that Malachi was trying to paint a picture of a soaring eagle or a mother hen with her wings and, and that can be a picture but if you look at the hebrew word for wings there's healing in his wings that is the same word that was used about that which was around the hem of the garden the garment the corners where they placed the tassels that was the same word in other words there would be healing in that garment that messiah would wear that's how they interpreted it so people were looking for this son of righteousness. They were looking for this healer. And if they were sick, they would find it at the hem of his garment. So this woman, acting on what she has learned, the information she's received as a Jewish girl, finds herself reaching out for the hem of his garment. Another place that's pretty fascinating, David, when he was hiding in the cave, and Saul, who was trying to kill him and trying to find him, couldn't see him in the dark. You can read about why he was in the cave at the time, and David could have easily taken his life. But he cut off a piece of the garment. You know what he cut off? That tassel that designated him as king. And so for the Jew, this was... This was an understanding they had. It was information they knew. And she acted by faith on that information. But she didn't need more information. She needed transformation. So watch what happened. Verse 29. 
Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up. She felt it in her body that she was healed of her infliction, affliction. And immediately, Jesus, perceiving himself that the power had proceeded from him and had gone forth, turned around the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? There's your question. Now, this question is a little different than the first two we looked at because you look at that and you put yourself in the question, Who touched his garments? I hadn't touched his garments. Well, let's look at the question. Let's at least put ourselves in the context of this question. Who was the question for? We know Jesus knew who touched him. So why do you ask the question? Well, the disciples spoke up. They answered his question with a question. They said, why are you asking questions? Why would you even ask a silly question like that? Do you not look around? It's like we're trying to get in the gate at one of the football stadiums in Stillwater or Norman. You can't get through this, and everybody's on top of everybody, and Lord, everybody has touched you. What kind of question is that? When Jesus wasn't asking the disciples, it wasn't the disciples that needed the question. It wasn't the crowd that needed to answer the question. Who needed that question? That woman who had issues so I take you back now this is why the questions for all of us because remember what we said earlier we all have come on now we all have what issues some of you your issues you want out of here right now too bad you got issues and her issue wasn't just a physical need for healing she needed more than that Jesus could have kept walking with Jairus. He could have kept moving on. He could have said, okay, you got your healing. You touched my hem. Go be healed. But he had more for her. Take a look at it. Verse 33, Jesus asked the question, who touched me? And the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She could have easily tried to hide in the crowd. She could have acted like nothing happened. She could have said, man, if I come out, if people know I'm in here, I'm going to get probably stoned or put to death because I've just jeopardized the health of this whole community. I can't say anything. I can't come forward. She tried to privately connect with Jesus. But here's what I want you to see. The same thing the demoniac had to learn. The same thing she would learn, the same thing you and I need to learn. Those of us who have issues, if you bring those issues to Jesus, he will meet your need and he will fix those issues, not just in this physical world, but for all of eternity. And when he does, he doesn't do that just so you'll have a kumbaya holy bubble to live in. No, he calls you out to be his ambassadors and to tell his story. The reason he asked this question was so that she could find her complete healing. And in that healing, she could find a divine purpose. She told the whole story. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be cured of your disease. The reason he asked that question is because she needed to tell God's story through her story. It was practical and it was spiritual. It was practical in one sense because here's the rabbi and here's this woman who was uh, considered unclean who had been already blighted from all community and Jesus was able to say, this woman is clean. Now she could be restored in physical life. But there was a spiritual reason. She got to tell everybody her story. I've been isolated for 12 years. I shouldn't even be here. My life was a wreck. I spent everything I had on doctors. How do we know the story? Because she told it. 
How do we know she spent everything she had from doctor to doctor? Because she told the story. My life was a mess. I went to every doctor in this town and nobody could help me. And matter of fact, my condition was worse. But do you see this man, Jesus? He just changed my life. And everybody heard God's story through her story. That's why he asked the question. And God has fixed your issues. If God has come in and he has fixed your issues, how dare you privately hang on to that to yourself and keep that to be just your story and not share that with other people, how he can do that for their issues. The demoniac who wanted to hang out in the holy bubble with Jesus. No, go to your people. This lady who wanted to just touch the hem of the garment and get healed so she could go back to her own. No, no, no. No, no, no. Come on. Matter of fact, Jesus said in another place, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. There ain't no private gig with Jesus. We love him publicly because he first loved us publicly. He hung on a cross in front of the whole world, condemned on a cross, not because of anything he did, but because of everything I did and everything you did. And he publicly declared, the Bible says, he demonstrated his love for us while we were sinners. He died on a cross. It was a public display. And to this woman, he says, come on, get public with it. You got a story to tell. Experience peace because you have a story. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I ask you the questions we've wrestled with for three weeks. Where are you? Where are you? I know you're sitting in a chair or viewing online. I know where you are physically. Where are you spiritually? Where are you? Are you running from God? You playing games? Are you in the center of God's will? Are you growing in that relationship with Christ? Do you find your heart cold? Do you find your heart indifferent? Where are you? And who do you say Jesus is? Is he the holy son of God, the anointed one, the one sent from heaven for your sin, for you personally? Is he God who died for your sin? Or is he just a teacher? Is he just a guy who lived over 2,000 years ago? He just had some good things to teach us how to be better at life. Or is he the one of Malachi 4.2? that brings healing to our sickness, that fixes what doctors can't, what a vaccine can't, what only the blood of Jesus can, your sin. There's some today, you need to quit running. You need to do what Adam did and come out from hiding and say, Lord, forgive me, I've been running from you. Or some like Peter, you need to declare, you are the savior of the world, I need you to save me. Maybe that's your response. Or maybe for many in this room, you've already answered the first two questions, but you're not answering the third. Jesus healed you of your issues. He transformed your life, but you haven't been telling the story. We need to be on our knees asking God to forgive us, just like she was on hers. She fell on her knees at the feet of Jesus and said, Lord, Lord, you healed me. Lord, here's my story. And she honored the question. There's some of us in this room, we need to say that, Lord, forgive me for not telling the story. And right now, I want you to pray about somebody you need to tell that story to. And you just start praying for it right now. You may need to come get a ping pong ball. 
and let us join you in praying for that person. But it isn't that we just pray for them. Jesus said, go to your people and tell them. Who do you need to go to? Our staff will be standing here at the front. If you have a decision for Christ, if there's something God's doing, maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you here at the front. We'd love to help you become a member of the church if you need a church family. We'd love to help pray with you to find Christ as your Savior. If you're online, reach out, email us at ministry at pcbc.tv. But let me pray now. As our staff is coming, I want to pray for you. Alex will sing. We'll stand and you come. Father, we look forward to what you're going to do in these next moments. God, as you bring repentance and brokenness, as you bring healing, you uh, bind up the sick-hearted. Lord, healing us of the virus of our sin. God, bring salvation. Bring healing. Bring new life and transformation. As we honor your voice now, for we ask it in Jesus' name.